Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. It's always good to have uh, Chase Smith and Kara with him, his two daughters. We're glad that you're here. Chase, if you didn't know, is our missionary in downtown uh, Lubbock, Texas, dealing with uh, many of many of which are le- least than, I suppose, uh, at least as far as the world considers them. We're glad you're here. Appreciate the work you do. Military campaigns to occupy, brutally oppress people into submission, atrocious actions by a political leader that tanks the economy, leaving people with barely enough to survive, horrifying accounts of multiplied innocents being killed in what usually is a safe environment. This familiar-sounding setting, because it is contemporary, is also the context of the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel, where we'll be looking this morning as we begin this series on Jesus as the head of God's family. Jerusalem was being occupied by, desecrated by, the Roman military, the Roman Empire's military. But that really wasn't the real problem. They were being held captive by evil, by sin. And that that wasn't the result of an aggressive emperor or governor, but rather the result of this and the previous generation's continual rebellion, rejecting God's rule. If you want to read more about that, go back and read Leviticus 26, go back and read Deuteronomy 28, and you'll See how close that is. It's in that setting that 13th chapter begins. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate, Governor Pilate, had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. There's a lot of history about Pilate outside the biblical text that lets us know what kind of a person, what kind of a uh, uh, governor he was, which leads us to believe that he might have been fearing another riot. He might have been concerned about what, was, what this was building up to, and so he sent the military in, and he had some Galilean worshipers slaughtered. And Apparently, they were offering sacrifices at the temple, and so they simply mixed the human blood with the animal blood of the sacrifices they had made. And then the next verses is a remind that Jesus is Jesus' reminder that this is the result of their rebellion. Not against Rome, not against Pilate, against God. When Jesus said, Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish, too, unless you repent 
from your sins. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Jesus is God's Messiah sent to deliver his people from oppression. Most thought it was deliverance from the oppression of the Roman government. But actually it was from sin's oppression. We're going to check on that. And I'll let you know when somebody lets me know. By the middle of Luke, Jesus is headed one last time to Jerusalem. Will he continue after hearing about what happened to these other Galilean people? Because he's coming from Galilee to Jerusalem, going to the temple. Will he continue? He will. And woe to those who refuse the message he brings. The call. The call to change direction, to turn back to God. And then in a story in verses 6 through 9, Jesus describes this fig tree. It's a barren fig tree. It had been given every opportunity over the past three years to bear some figs. But here it is, year three, and nothing. It has done nothing. And special attention is given in a last chance scenario ending in a cliffhanger. Dig around it, fertilize it, work it, give it everything that it needs. And the question, what will, what will the fig tree do? The story points to the fact that Jesus is the head of God's family, God's people. And he comes seeking repentance. The kind of repentance that brings life. And there is given one more opportunity. Will Jerusalem repent? Will she change? Will she be delivered from destruction? And those of us who know the full story recognize that A.D. 70 is the result of refusing to follow the way of peace that Jesus urged them towards. Before we consider what happened next on a particular Sabbath day, let me ask us, what is God up to in our world today? What is God up to in your life today? Are we bearing fruit? Are there signs of life, this life-giving energy to change us? Folks are checking on that. When I, again, when I hear something, I will let you know. For a few minutes, let's consider how we are linked to Jesus. In Luke 13, Jesus is urging his people, the descendants of Abraham, to turn back to God and follow him. But by the time Luke's readers are hearing this story, maybe late 60s or maybe even after 70, they had come to understand that God's nation is his kingdom in all nations. In fact, earlier in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus makes it crystal clear that his true family, his mother and brothers, are those who hear God's word and do it. Who hear God's word and do it. So if we are family of Jesus, then he is the head of that family and we should be listening to him and following the way of Jesus. And so the first thing you see in this story is the awareness that Jesus had. Look at verse 10. One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. 
She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed, set free from your illness. I believe in looking at Jesus, we are called as a congregation of Jesus' family to notice those who have need. Jesus saw this woman and he invited her to come out of the crowd, which is the opposite of what we tend to do. Here's what we need to realize. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is doing nothing. As followers of Jesus, we share many of the same struggles in this world that those who don't follow Jesus have. Grief. Maybe a chemical dependency. Maybe we don't know many people and lonely. Maybe we have difficulty at work. Maybe we have a child who's rebelling. Many people are lonely, searching for friendship, needing to, someone to notice them like this woman that Jesus notices. What, what many need today is to simply to be noticed, to be wanted. And I doubt that this woman felt very wanted or very cherished in a relationship over the past 18 years of her illness. Communities tend to be very cruel towards those who are less healthy, less attractive, less affluent. And churches can be, if we're not aware, just as cruel. As Jesus' followers, we need to be aware in order to help those in need. How can, how can you and I go out of our way to express kindness to someone? To, does it involve risk? It does. Compassion always involves risk. But see, not only did Jesus see the woman in her need, he did something for her. He engaged her. He got involved with her, which is why we exist as family of God. In this story, Jesus was eager to show compassion. Not only did he look for opportunities, he followed up on them. We don't always do that. I don't always do that. You ever seen somebody so overcome with emotion and you think, I sure hope somebody talks to them? <laughs> you are somebody. I am somebody. But we do nothing. Notice what Jesus did in showing compassion, verse 13. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. And she, how she praised God. You remember the little clip we showed you about Amazing Grace, sung two different times, and when they asked about the why, why are you singing it? This woman sang Amazing Grace in a very uh, unbelievable way. Imagine what it must have been like to see a person who had suffered like this for 18 years in a matter of seconds be completely healed. We have professionals today who tell us how inappropriate touch is damaging to other people and wreaks damage both physically as well as emotionally for years, maybe for their whole life, which is, why, which is why we've seen such devastating reports 
recently about sexual abuse, not just, not just in the political world, not just in the in entertainment world, not just in the sports world, but also in the religious world. It's a shame and should never be, and we must guard against that. However, appropriate touch can be so encouraging, so affirming. From a mere physiological perspective, touch is very healthy to people. And we shouldn't underestimate the power of a handshake or a hug or a pat on the back. One-third, one-third of our five million touch receptors are centered in our hands. We've all read studies showing about sometimes how touch, a simple a simple uh, caring touch can lower somebody's blood pressure. How touching a baby, cuddling a baby, hugging a baby, holding a baby somehow helps them feel loved. It's why a little boy waits for dad to get home so they can wrestle at night. It's why a little girl loves for her mom to count her ribs. Asking to be a noticed Jesus, Jesus touched lepers. I don't think we understand how much that meant. Mark records in his gospel that before Jesus healed the man of leprosy, he touched him. That's, that's important. A person who had not been touched for who knows how long. And Jesus' decision to touch this woman also meant he got involved in her life. He expressed compassion by investing his limited time. He, he was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the last year, month of his life, and he's, he invests his limited time into this woman. Verbal affirmation is good. It can start to lift a person's spirit, but usually the time and energy expended is more beneficial for the person in need. And Jesus excelled in both of these. Think about the time Jesus spent with a woman at the well, somebody he shouldn't have been talking to, wouldn't have been talking to, and wouldn't have given the time of day, and yet they have a conversation and even, and even spend a, a significant time talking and listening, responding. He spent time with a woman caught in adultery when everybody else was ready to chunk rocks at her. He spent time with the 12 disciples. Doing what? Serving them. One of my favorite stories is the story about the mom who was making pancakes for her two, her two boys, five and three-year-old. And when the first batch was ready, the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancakes. And she pointed out to her boys that if Jesus were there, he would say to his brother, you go first, I can wait. And so the oldest boy said to the younger, you be Jesus. Too often I'm willing to let somebody else be Jesus. Whether that's volunteering to serve in a ministry here or in something in our community, we're called to touch people and spend time with them. And I've seen that beautifully done in this congregation. I think Camp Evergreen exemplifies that. People who are giving 
so much in, in time and, 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 and energy uh, to, to, to pour into these other people. And I've seen it happen behind the scenes here. You don't know anything about it, but I have a unique vantage point. I've seen people in this family reach out and spend time and care about other people. The blessing of compassion comes as we get involved in other people's lives. Other, often when you're going through a rough time yourself, the most therapeutic thing you can do is stop, as somebody put it, stop having a pity party and put the focus on somebody else's needs. That is, in fact, what Jesus did the night he was betrayed. Instead of throwing a pity party for himself as he was about to be so brutally treated and crucified. You know what Jesus did? He threw a dirty foot washing party for his followers. I need to be reminded every now and then that God's answer to a need is me. Now, not everybody was happy with that, beginning at verse 14. The leaders that question why he's doing it on the Sabbath day, and he makes the argument, you know, don't, don't be doing stuff like that on the Sabbath day. And yet Jesus says, calls, calls them hypocrites because they do work on the Sabbath day when they untie their donkey from its stall and lead it out to water. And he says to them, this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released, that she be freed from what bound her, even on the Sabbath? And Jesus healed this woman. And now, you and I can't miraculously heal like Jesus did, but we can determine to do whatever we can. To serve a person who's hurting. Yeah, we can't meet every single need in the world or even in this community, but we can refer often people to those who can. We can't do everything, but we do need to seek long-term solutions to help to meet people's needs. And while it's beyond our grasp to be able to heal, it's certainly not beyond our grasp to be able to call upon the one who can heal to heal. And while we can't meet every need, we can meet some. Sometimes God chooses to heal people. Other times God chooses calling us to wait and wait and wait. Sometimes until that day when all things were made new. As Paul recalled to the Philippians, we are citizens of the, of the heavens, of the heavenlies, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly wait for him to return. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Our goal, our mission is to lead people into relationship with this Jesus Christ who is the head of God's family. The one who did things. And often when he did it brought rejoicing. Verse 17, this shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced 
at the wonderful things he did. Joy is a part of the experience of meeting somebody's need. When you meet somebody's need, doesn't it make you joyful inside? Don't, isn't there a sense of rejoicing in yourself, even as you go on? And, and so are they. Jesus was thrilled to make a difference in a person's life. And all the people, it says, rejoiced. They were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Earlier it said the woman praised God when she was healed. Celebration is a part of who we are as a family. And celebration is a part of following Jesus. And when needs are met, we should rejoice. And there should be celebration. If we're, if we're not careful, we become so self-conscious we fail to celebrate victories. But the early church certainly did. Here's how Luke records that in the book of Acts. They shared what they had with those in need. They worshiped together, sharing the Lord's Supper, ate their meals together with great joy, Luke said, and generosity all the while praising God. It's a great idea. We're going to celebrate what the Lord has done for us and what he's doing in us by celebrating the Lord's Supper together with joy. We're going to recall the story by singing a song. It's about the old, old story called Victory in Jesus. And while we do, we will thank God and celebrate the freedom he's given for the past 2,000 years. Chad? Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org, where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.